Some say that alongside this see-it-to-believe-it world is the shadowy realm of the supernatural. Sometimes the residents of that dimension touch us, and in one moment, our lives are changed forever. America's Lady of Supernatural Thrillers, Mary Ann Pohl, is your real ghost chatter host. On this podcast, you'll hear stories by real people who have seen real ghosts. Gordon tells us about an unwelcome encounter with his dead father-in-law, and Lori tells us about a dead logger who looked for his wife and daughter for years after his death until she helped him find peace. Then there's Victoria, who shares her story of a long-dead pig, Edna June, who still watches over her ranch. Did you know a cafe in Anchorage, Alaska is haunted by the ghost of a woman who was blown to bits by a hired hitman? Once in a while, Mary Ann will podcast a tale taken from the genre she loves best, the supernatural. These are just a few of the stories you will hear, and these stories just keep coming. Welcome to today's Real Ghost Chatter episode. I'm Marianne Paul, America's Lady of Supernatural Thrillers, a charter member of Author Masterminds, and your host on Real Ghost Chatter. Today, I'll continue reading from Raven's Cove. If you are at home, grab your favorite drink and settle into your favorite listening spot. If you're on the road, stay safe. In either event, enjoy. Chapter 4, Dark and Light. The Right Reverend Plotno hummed a happy tune in his grand church, his kingdom as he liked to think of it. I'm on the right track. The elation I experienced on the way into the church proves it. To make the day even better, he heard from his favorite parishioner, the delectable Anita Connor. Stop, Plotno, you are a married man, he thought. As if such a small fact would keep my libido in check. Anita reported to him on the dreadful Paul Lucas. He's wearing down, right, Reverend. I went to one of his services as you requested. She smiled wickedly and continued. The ones who were there are ancient and can't even stand up for worship songs. Plotno took the opportunity to pull her into his arms and hold her just a bit longer than needed. Paul Lucas and the days of his nightmare of a church are almost over. Anita nodded. How I hate the place. His sermons make me feel guilt and shame. Anita didn't tell Plotno there were few new faces in church on Sunday, younger ones, with small children playing at their feet or in the chairs next to them. Such information would only upset him, and she wanted nothing to upset him. Plotno released Anita. Lucas is a fanatic and a danger to my people, he said while pacing back and forth in front of the altar. He stopped and turned blazing eyes to Anita. All he does is make people feel guilt and shame over accepting each other's actions. So what if people embrace adultery and worship angels or nature? Jesus was a wise man well known for his radicalism 2,000 years ago. What makes our congregations practicing what used to be taboo and is now tolerated, even accepted by society, any different? I know, Anita answered. Jesus' message of the consequences of sin and the need for repentance are outdated. Love means acceptance. It means complete tolerance. Love always feels good because pleasure and love are synonymous. Plotno touched her cheek. Correct. So, as you know, sin does not exist. He's getting what's coming to him. 
Lucas doesn't look like he's sleeping well, Reverend. Big circles under his eyes and deep lines on his young face. Anita's voice fluctuated in a mock tune. Can't be good. His comeuppance can't come soon enough. Anita raised smoldering hooded eyes to Plotno's cold gray-black ones. She longed to bury herself in his arms and watch those cold eyes turn warm as she nibbled his neck. Plotno held her gaze for a moment, then turned his eyes to the stained glass window sending rainbows of color into the sanctuary. Seminary taught me to forgive, but there will be none for Paul Lucas. He teaches the wrong message, one which will destroy any tolerant progressive church. All are saved by faith, not by works. Horrible thinking. Lucas quotes nonstop from the Bible. He's just as outdated as it is. Why would people attend a church except to ensure salvation? They only need to attend church services every Sunday and Wednesday and give as much money to the Congregational Alliance as they can. And most importantly, listen to my instructions because I am their spiritual guide. Then they will be saved. Yes, Reverend. He turned his attention back to Anita and caressed her arm. Such good news about the horrid little church. A thrill coursed through her body, bringing instant color to her cheeks. Reverend Plotno brushed back a stray hair sticking to Anita's eyelashes. She shivered in response. He smiled into her love-struck eyes and then released her gaze. You are a true asset to this congregation. Plotno turned to the altar to review his notes for Wednesday's sermon. He turned back. One more thing. I know how much you hate going there and listening to the blather Lucas is spewing, but dear one, I need you to go again. Anita deflated like a balloon. Plotno lifted Anita's chin, fixing his eyes on hers. Be strong and you will be rewarded. She touched his arm. Not again, please. His heart quickened in response, thinking of what would come. Yes, again, he whispered as he bent to her ear. This time and any time I ask you to. You know obedience is as important as tolerance. He nibbled her ear. Anita's knees weakened from his touch. She surrendered and hung her head. All right. Good girl. Now off with you. I must plan for tonight's study. Anita Connor turned, not sure if her unsteady legs would hold her weight. She tried a step. Reassured her limbs were okay, she strode to and out the heavy carved wood doors. This day is feeling fantastic, the right reverend mused. Fantastic indeed. The church door swung open for the second time. Plotno spoke without turning. What is it now? An unfamiliar voice boomed through the silence of moments before. Your destruction is imminent. Stop now, for your sake and the sake of your congregation. Martin Plotno whirled in response, holding a candle extinguisher like a sword, ready to confront the intruder. A thin, white-haired, unshaven specter of a man stood before him. Lowering his weapon, Plotno said, There is a soup kitchen down the street, old man. They can help you. There's nothing for you here. Come back when you clean yourself up. I am sent to help you, sir. Really? Who thinks I need any assistance you can offer? More to the point, which congregant put you up to this? I know, Irwin. Go tell him I preferred the stripper in the birthday cake. The God of Jacob and Isaac sent me, Martin Plotno, who says to you, stop using me and my Christ to lead others astray. Obey me. Worship the one true God. You are in a teacher's position pretending to be a man of God and woe to you. What would you know about God? You don't even know how to take a proper bath. God spoke through James in the New Testament, Mr. Plotno. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Change, I plead with you, or your destruction is imminent. Anger rose in Plotno's throat. 
how dare you? An example of bad hygiene and a disciple of the streets speak to me in such a way. Do not step any farther into this sacred place, you sick old man. Get out. We don't allow your kind here. Josiah held his ground. I am a servant of the one true God, sent to give you this warning. May God have mercy on you. Josiah turned, cocked his head as if listening to an unseen voice, and turned back to Plotno. I have been instructed to clear something up for you. Whether you believe it or not, there is a hell, and not all go to heaven, even though our God does not will any to perish. You are deceived, and again I say, repent. Josiah marched to the back of the church, lifting his hand, waving it back and forth to part the black mist covering the door. It shot to one side before he walked through, a dark curtain blown by an invisible wind. The dark mist, a traumatist by name, vibrated with hatred, then fear at what he saw. An angel of God stood beside this man. Uriel. The angel turned and nodded. A traumatist? A traumatist bent his head to avoid the blinding light. After they passed, he raised his head, formed an invisible mouth, a deep red chasm where the black mist had been. A guttural, gurgling roar spewed out to sound the alarm, sending sleeping birds flying into the sky, crying in terror. No response. Now what, he pondered. A cunning demon, a traumatist, carried out iconoclast's orders with ease. His ability to plan, though, bordered on non-existent. After a laborious mental exercise, a vicious smile broadened the black line of a mouth. I know how to warn iconoclast and receive a commendation for my abilities to devise a strategy. A traumatist slid from the church door and retraced his earlier path up Main. Chapter 5, The Ultimatum. A traumatist slithered under the door of the New Age shop, wrapped his semi-transparent bulk around Mickey, and spoke. Get word to the one who allows you to have this place, the very one who has prospered you. The plan to complete the Congregational Alliance's good work is under attack. What do you want me to do? I have no patience with this idiot. A traumatist shifted his form to a misty black rope. Miggy gasped for air and pulled at the invisible bindings for relief. In a fluid, violent motion, a traumatist released him. Miggy fell to the floor, heaving. He found breath enough to whisper, Forgive me, great one. I am but a human. Please instruct me. He dropped into a prone position, face down. How I hate this mortal, a traumatist thought. I should just finish him. He started to tighten around Miggy again, then relaxed. Iconoclast's instructions were clear. You can have him when I say, no sooner. Until then, do not harm him, or you will be no more. The traumatist's desire to destroy Iconoclast rose to a feverish level, threatening to make him forget his assignment. His fear of Iconoclast and those loyal to the commander flooded him, acting as a tranquilizer, and squelched his desire for battle. He spoke to Miggy. Go to the top of Raven's Ravine at sunset. Do not enter the ravine. No, there are too many police. I will be questioned and become a suspect. Fool, go to Raven's Ravine at sunset or die now. And traumatists tightened around Miggy again, compressing Miggy's bones. Miggy cried out, small capillaries broke in his eyes. The mounting pressure made him feel as if his eyes would pop like overfilled balloons. He heard a distinct crack as something in his body gave way to the constraints. The traumatist released him and again Maggie fell to the floor, this time wailing in fear and pain. Shut up and heed my instructions. Go to the top of Raven's Ravine. Call down these words. I am a messenger sent by your great guard who protects the Congregational Alliance. Then continue with, Your great guard says there is one who has come to this place your place, who means to destroy you. He is strong in the Holy One and is accompanied by Uriel. You destroyed his family and he seeks revenge. 
but, O oh great one, no one can defeat you. Your messenger awaits your command. Sit down, cross-legged, facing away from the corpse mound. You will be instructed. Until you are told what to do, be quiet, be still, and do not venture onto the ravine path. If you do any of these things, you will die. Satisfied, Atromatus stretched out, slid along the floor under the door and down the street to his post. The commander would be irate, he thought. It is good this creature will be delivering the news. Atromatus shivered. The initial anger of the commander could be unrestrained. If Miggy becomes a sacrifice, so be it. I do want to crush the pipsqueak into dust, but rather he meet the commander's punishment than me. Satisfied with his plan, Atromatus settled his charcoal bulk over the door and awaited Iconoclast's mandate. Chapter 6, A Secret Life A troubled and frightened Miggy busied himself unpacking and inventorying his latest books, potions, crystals, and adult play paraphernalia. Terror toyed with his mind until he became like a guitar string tightened to the breaking point. The back door to Miggy's shop popped open, sounding like a gunshot. Miggy jumped up from his kneeling position and stumbled backward, tripping over a box. He plopped like a sack of flour to the floor, legs in an upside-down V, arms outstretched behind him. He strained his neck upward, squinting into the blinding light. Shifting all of his weight to his right arm, Miggy threw the left one over his eyes as a shield. He recognized the familiar form of one of his best customers, the alluring and demure Anita Connor. Miggy distributed keys for the alley entrance to his top customers, including Anita. His patrons appreciated the thoughtfulness. Miggy made much more money from this good business policy. A true win-win, he thought. A little jumpy today, Miggy? Got to get that door fixed. Sounds like a bomb exploding every time it opens. He pushed himself vertical in one motion. Anita studied him for a while, noticing the redness of his eyes and a nasty purple bruise rising on his right cheek. If you say so. Looking for something in particular? Well, needing a potion, I think. Maybe a spell book or two. Anita's voice trailed off as she headed for the occult section across the room. She touched each book with her right index finger, reading as she went. You'd think working in a library, you could have all this at your disposal. He swept his arm from right to left. Cheaper, too. Indeed, if I want all of Raven's Cove to question my bringing in these kinds of books. There are some big eyes watching the library and me, Anita said with disgust. Miggy stared, taking a moment to admire her backside, and then shrugged. Whatever, he thought. To each his or her own, we're encouraged to be tolerant. Here we go. She hefted two large volumes of chants, spells, and curses in her arms. Now the makings of a potion or two. Anita thumbed through the books to find what she wanted, placed the massive volumes on the counter, and walked off to Miggy's version of a grocery store, grabbing the items needed for her purposes. She paid Miggy and headed toward the back entrance. I'll go first, just in case there are prying eyes, Miggy said. Appreciate it. Miggy pulled open the gunshot contraption of a door, stepped out into the alley and looked both ways. No one in sight. A garbage lid fell to the ground. Miggy swung his hands up over his ears to muffle the deafening rattle and scrutinized the garbage cans in the immediate area. Stupid alley cats. After another quick inspection of the alley, Miggy said, it's safe. Anita tipped her head to Miggy and stepped into the alley, humming under her breath, pleased with her new acquisitions. Now her love interest would not escape. She glanced at her watch. The potions would have to wait until the library closed. Then she could pursue her true passion, Martin Plotno. Josiah Williams headed into the alley behind the trash bin. He heard as clear as day, stop and watch. He did. He observed a young, dark-haired woman exit the trash bin's back door and proceed to the opposite end of the alley. Josiah turned and walked back to Main Street. This part of the puzzle dropped into his mental box, 
and joined the other unexplained pieces. The October sun, although just two o'clock, stretched the building's shadows like rubber bands at the breaking point, heralding the coming night. Exhaustion overtook Josiah and weakened his spirit, mind, and body. In this state, I'll be in grave danger if I stay out past nightfall. Even though the evil is not yet at full strength, or even quarter strength, I cannot chance crossing its path. Time to find a room, some food, and get cleaned up. Kadif, iconoclast's star spy, watched the old man leave the alley. He smiled, wicked yellow black razors jutting from the gaping hole of a mouth. The old man, what a great prize for iconoclast. He raced into the sky, small black wings carrying him to the ravine. If you enjoyed this podcast, I encourage you to share it with others you think would also be interested. If you'd like to know more about me, go to maryannpoll.com and or authormasterminds.com forward slash mary-ann-poll. Until next time, may the wind always be at your back, the sun on your face, and the good Lord walk beside you.